Hey there listeners, welcome back to another episode of The Real Job by Ari. I'm very happy to introduce our guest for today, Anne Bless. She's a very experienced scientific communication trainer working with many European universities to train students to communicate science much more effectively. Well, welcome to the show, Anne. How are you doing today? I'm fine, thank you. That that's good. It's summer here, isn't it? Yes, it's wonderful. <laughs> it's wonderful, but it's a bit hot. <laughs> a bit too hot sometimes. Yes. Before we dive into the specifics about your profession, please tell us more about yourself. Well, I'll try and make it short because um, I've been working for uh, over thirty years. But my background: well, I was born in Egypt and spent the first 20 years of my life there and had primary school in French and then secondary school at an English boarding school in England. Left at nine, in 1960, came to Switzerland and there I um, uh, went to a University of Lausanne and I got a diploma of teaching French to foreigners. Mm-hmm. So what makes me uh, do, do what I'm doing now? Well, I've always been attracted to teaching, and then in 1976 I moved to Holland, and there I taught um, some English and some French, and one day somebody asked me to be an examiner for the Cambridge exams, Mm -hmm. and uh, which I did, and then one um, about a, two years later, Erasmus University in Rotterdam, a medical school, asked me to teach the proficiency to their PhD students, medical students. Um, Dutch are very good at English, and um, after some time, I said to them, "Well, you're all going to pass anyhow. So what can I do for you?" Upon which they said, please help us write a scientific article. Well, if there's somebody unscientific, it's me. (laughs) So uh, my stomach went down to my boots and I thought, wow, I'd better do something about this. Uh And um, there were quite a few of us in Holland who'd been asked to do the same thing. So we got together, we helped each other. I went to London to attend a, a course and just started Slowly but surely. I'm surprised, to be honest, that the first students I had didn't walk out. But okay, obviously I did something right. And we're talking about the 1980s now. Mm -hmm. And then I um, uh, had a part-time job at that university teaching PhDs, medical PhDs, how to write a readable and uh, well-structured scientific article. And then, um, uh, in the other half of the time, I uh, people asked me to teach freelance at different institutions. And in 2003, I came back to Switzerland. And uh, yes, I've been teaching scientific writing uh, ever since then. Mm-hmm. I've also taught in France. I teach at uh, some universities here and twice a year I go back to Holland where I teach scientific writing at my old university. Right. That that's a very long history of teaching I realized. So you yes. started off without not teaching scientific writing but then it was more of English teaching. First French then English then ah, yes. Right. Yeah. So right. so yes it's a, it's a, it's a long story. <laughs> long story shortened. Um, so how is it that people 
found that you were doing scientific um, writing teaching back then? Because now now there are websites, there are like so many yes, ways um, of telling others. I would say by word of mouth. I, I, can't, I can't really remember in 1990, you know, some... Um, people would would ring up Erasmus University and say, "Do you? We've just started this PhD course. We have heard that <clears throat> by word of mouth, mm-hmm. to be honest, and that is still the case. That is still the case here too. I see. And you know, my mother always used to say, "It's not what you know, but who you know." But I can assure you, how did I get a job at the EPFL? By drinking a glass of wine with a neighbor. Oh wow! Who's wife was teaching scientific article at the EPFL and uh, she heard about that and she said please uh, would you mind giving a course and I will be there as a student Mm -hmm. and at the end of the course she said go on you do it and her husband was working for the hospital Mm -hmm. so he talked about me and okay so that's it's word of mouth even more than shall we say a website so what is it that, that is very attractive in your job? Because you said you really like teaching, but was it specific, anything specific in your teaching that you really like? I just like, like, I don't know, it's, I like to, I like to, well, I love languages. I mean, that is, and I like to make people like languages. Mm-hmm. I try, anyhow. So, and I like the contact with the students. Fair enough. And you yeah. speak a couple of languages I've seen on your Yes. Website. Well, I obviously when I went to Holland and lived there for 26 years, I'd learned Dutch. Uh-huh. French and English are languages. And obviously because I'm Swiss, uh, I speak, uh, I don't really speak Swiss German, I speak High German, but not, not, you know, it's not brilliant, but I can manage. And of course in Egypt, I learned, uh, I had to learn Arabic, mind you, I've forgotten it all. Almost all. (laughs) Right, but then you teach only in English at the moment. Yeah, uh, I do actually teach uh, once a week here. I teach expats French. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Because that's the only thing I'm qualified for. (laughs) But someone has to do it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So you said you're also a freelancer now. Yes, I'm far too old to be employed. So I'm, I assume that your job is really flexible now that you can pick your clients whenever, yeah. whenever I suppose. I can say no. Uh, right. And I decide the dates. Mm-hmm. They ask me every year at the hospital, and there's a, please give us your dates. Mm-hmm. And I try and spread it out so as not to have too many, too, more than one lesson a week. I see. And I don't work between mid-June and September. Nice. <laughs> Um, so are there any clients that, that really, do you have any experience where you had some terrible experience in your teaching courses? It's I mean, not like... terrible experience, but one thing I, there's one university I work, uh, give courses in and they are stuck to sort of, uh, EU credits or something, uh-huh. that the course is obligatory. I have been fighting that for years. I don't believe my course should be obligatory for PhD students because, you know, I want them to want to come. Mm-hmm. And I, where this place where I work with pleasure, but I can see as they walk in the first day, I can sometimes think, see, oh dear. You don't really want to be here. Uh, really, it's really yes. obvious from it, the not, way they. Not, not. Oh, okay. But but one or two. I see. And it is 
a challenge for me then to persuade them. No, I, I, I don't know who they are. I so, mean, but I can feel it. To to make these people feel that this is something maybe useful for them. Mm -hmm. This is a challenge. I think a lot of um, the scientific community, the younger generation, they they don't pay attention to communication as much. No. No. Um, the thing is that I, I, I have had some experience, at, uh, for instance, at, at, a, at a hospital once, when I showed uh, an abstract which was badly written, mm -hmm. and a, a man said, a doctor said to me, oh, but we, scientific write, we scientists write like this, upon which I said, you scientists in the whole world, not only here in the whole world, do you write for your own egos or do you write to communicate? Now, there was deathly silence. I thought I'd made an enemy for life. But <laughs> he, uh, and that's the problem, yeah. is trying to make people feel that they, you know, they must communicate to readers whose English is not as good as theirs. And you've heard me say that. Yeah, that is so true. Because in the end, we want to be able to let the others understand the work that we have done. It's exactly. not about just keeping it to it's ourselves. It's not about your own ego. No. Yes, that's no. true. What, what do you think the steps are to becoming a um, professional scientific writing <gasps> trainer? Just by just doing it. I see. I mean, the point is, if somebody is interested mm -hmm. in doing what I'm doing, then the only thing I can say is contact me. Because there is no training, there is no... The, the, you, you just have to, I mean, I've trained a few people, mm -hmm. and, and then at a certain point I said, and now you go. Mm. Uh, they didn't want to, they were afraid to begin with, and I said, no, no, off you go, and they're doing fine. That's good, yeah. So there is, you just have to start, but always bear in mind what are the needs of the PhD students, or not only PhD students, but, you know, uh, doctors, what are their needs? They're always usually the same, mm -hmm. but still, you have to give people a chance to express their needs, and then you go in, you follow those needs. And the way you do this, you talk to your clients to understand what what they're trying to. Well, I, before they come to my class, I ask them to write a pre-course a pre-course assignment in uh -huh. in which they I ask them what is your research and what are your expectations of the course. After all, we're not a primary school. People come to because they they have a need, and yes. I like to fill that need. Mm -hmm. So talking about um, training people, uh, like you said, you mm -hmm. train two others to be actually able to do this job that you're doing. Do you think these people who are interested, is it okay for them to take this as a part-time job first to see how how it works for them, or it's best to dive most, into it? Most of the people that I've trained are all independent. I see. Yes, or they can they can become. I mean, it, it's up to them later on. Mm -hmm. But I ask them to. What I do is I ask them the first day to uh, to come and uh, to have a to listen and to participate a bit, and then slowly but surely I ask them to to take over mm -hmm. by the next you know for about twenty minutes, half an hour, and then slowly but surely they do more and more. Mm -hmm. And after each lesson, we discuss. Mm -hmm. how they felt, how I felt, etc. And then at a certain point, I say, now you go ahead. <laughs> you don't need me anymore. Right. Um, what about the degree? Like, do you have a particular degree for you to do this teaching in such a way that you're doing the training courses? No. The, first of all, it doesn't exist. Number mm -hmm. two, I have zero degree in mm. teaching English. And basically, 
you don't need uh, a degree to to actually teach the scientists. At least that's my experience because I've had lots of work mm -hmm. and and nobody's in fact asked me what kind of degree I have. This is actually really surprising yes. in a world of people getting degrees or everything. This is interesting and this is for those who like teaching and want to do this, don't start thinking that you've got to got a, get a degree. Mm -hmm. you don't. At least I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> And the people that you're training, do they get a degree or, or do they not in teaching um, English? No, mm -hmm. no, no. They usually have a degree. They mostly have a, a better degree than I have, to mm -hmm. be honest, the ones I've trained. Yes, they all have. But nobody asks them that. I mean, the, 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 no. I think of my colleagues in Holland. I mean, a lot of them don't have specialized degrees. I see. They've just been teaching for many years and are interested in this. That's actually a really big plus point. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think this is very important. I was not a brilliant student. Definitely not. I was a pretty awful student. <laughs> <laughs> so, can you tell me a bit more about the a typical day for you? Like, what would you do? I know your, your um, schedule is much more flexible, but when you yes. were super busy, how, how was it then? When I was super busy, mm -hmm. um, well, I uh, when I lived in Holland, mm -hmm. I was the busiest because I had a part-time job at university and I went there uh, twice a week mm -hmm. and then they, they gave me um, uh, a day, a half a day to work at home. And, well, um, I have my courses last, depending on what people want, between four between three and five hours a day mm -hmm. with breaks. And um, yeah, it's all very much the same sort of course I teach. I don't, no more than five hours a day. I mm. think that's four is, is ideal. Mm -hmm. Now that everything is on Zoom, how, how oh, do you find it? <laughs> I don't, I can't wait to, I found it very, very tiring. Right. Uh, uh, I was amazed that it went as well as it did. And people, but for, for the students, it wasn't uh, wasn't nice either. Mm. But no, I'll be honest with you. Um, I, in the autumn, I've given dates now, sort of at the end of the year. So hopefully, the, everybody will be vaccinated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think these kind of courses. I mean, in general, people don't really like to just sit in front of the computer no. and no, no. You don't really make real connections. I no, think, and I it, think yeah. it's important for anybody who wants to, because a PhD student life is not easy. A doctor's life is not easy either, because doctors have to work very hard. Mm -hmm. They're given twenty percent of their time to publish, and that twenty percent is filled by other things. Right, easily. So, so the important thing is to help people and make them. Some people are so unsure. Make them feel, you know. That sentence, that, that paragraph was very good. Maybe the next paragraph and give people confidence. Right. Because that's, that's a, scientists don't like writing in general. In this I've seen a lot. <laughs> yes. So try and make them like it. Yeah. They find it really tough to put thoughts into words. Yes. yes. In a very concise and clear manner so yes. that another person can understand yes, it. Yes, exactly. It's not... Uh, it's not a science's strong point. Yeah. And that's where I try and help them and give them some confidence. Mm -hmm. 
Do you, do you just do group training or do you also do personal training? Well, um, sometimes I have helped people personally. Mm -hmm. uh, I've done some editing, but I'm not basically an editor because mm -hmm. I don't like sitting in front of a computer all day long. <laughs> and so, uh, yes, I have trained some people individually. Yes, I have. Also on your website, when I take a, when I took a look at it, it said um, communication, but mostly it was focusing on writing. Yes, so, okay, mm -hmm. that's true. I also, at the hospital and at other places, I have uh, helped, I have asked people to uh, give a, a five-minute talk mm -hmm. with um, PowerPoint mm -hmm. uh, to prepare them for a conference or a congress. And there I concentrate on body language, eye contact, and, you know, people just put an awful lot of things on the PowerPoint, masses of work which nobody reads. That's true. <laughs> and uh, uh, that is something, yes, I think it's exceedingly important for people to communicate properly yeah. and show that they enjoy what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So that I enjoy doing, and poster presentations. Um, and the medics especially have masses of words on their posters, and nobody ever reads it. So I train people to write a clear poster. Right. Uh, just a question about yes. the poster, once you said that. All these people that you're training are very, um, they're very scientific. They yes. have their own feel and so on. Yes. Is it very intimidating or, or do they become um, intimidating towards you when you try to correct them because they tend to think that you're not in their field and you wouldn't well, know what, if what they're I doing? I am very honest. I'm not a scientist. The first thing I say to mm -hmm. my course, but uh, you learn, and I've discussed this with my colleagues in Holland who are also not scientists, um, you do learn to read, you do learn to... Even though you don't understand every word, mm -hmm. you, 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 you can see if it's well written or not. And with the presentation, no, obviously I don't understand, but I look at, as I said, body language and, and uh, how, the, how the PowerPoint is and uh, people uh, look how you look at people in the eye mm -hmm. and uh, not look at your notes the whole time. Yes. And, that is, but I don't always understand it, no. That's true. I mean, I don't think everyone in the science community no, exactly. also understand each other very well. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. How, how do people take your um, remarks, your, your comments? Do they all take it well? This is my question. Apparently, yes, but uh -huh. I'm careful. I always say, look, that was very good. Uh -huh. huh? I mean, I think this is very important because people don't like standing up there. Mm -hmm. I mean most of them. So this was very good what you did, but sorry, this needs to be improved. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they ask me, uh, could I give it again? Right. And what is important is not only what I think, mm -hmm. but what the colleagues think. In my courses, I, um, I we do a lot of review, put people in groups, mm -hmm. and um, they uh, review each other's work. Mm -hmm. So I always say you learn from each other as much as you learn from me. And it's the same thing with presenting. The, the group will make comments on the presentation, and then I'm just one of them. Right. I've seen this in your course that I attended. It was really good that way yeah. with, with the peers reviewing because you get to see what your audience, who are the potential audience, in fact, 
would think of what exactly. you wrote. Exactly, and and the point is that that I comments I've had after the review. Wow, I thought I was clear. <laughs> you know, and so and I always say to people, when you've even forgotten about my existence, please, please, always share your work, not with your professor. Mm-hmm. That's you have the hierarchy, there, <laughs> right? But with your colleagues, and they will pick out things which you will not. That's true. The book I wrote, uh, the book, the the, the late, the one uh, of reader-friendly scientific articles. I mean, I shared it with 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 uh, colleagues of mine, and they'd say, "But I don't understand. Here, you're not clear." And there's me writing a book about clarity. <laughs> That's how it goes. <laughs> yes, you see. Yeah. Well, do you have anything that you would like to share about? your profession for the next generation of people. My last remark would be, young scientists, please think of your reader. Mm. Put, I would say the last sentence would be, put yourself in the shoes of the reader. Oh, that's true. I think that's really helpful. Then you see it from another perspective, yeah. not the writer, but the reader. Exactly. Put yourself in the shoes of the reader. Well said. Thank you, I'm blessed. I, I'm, I'm so glad that you could make it for this interview. So um, to the listeners, I will link um, Anne Bless's website where you can check out what she's doing and also contact her, like she said, if you're interested. And she can, of course, give you a lot more advice and maybe even training. With that, I would like to say that this is the last episode of the season. So thank you so much to all those who contributed to this podcast, whether you were there just supporting me or listening to me get excited about an interview. And of course, to the listeners, thank you for tuning in to the podcast and listening to what these wonderful women had to say. I will be back again in September with another season and another group of women. See you then.